He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. The number one show at 5 o'clock. We are here to tell you the truth and, and tell you what the heck is going on in the studio with us. We have a Common Sense Democrat, Judge, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, a Common Sense Republican, Craig Eaton. And on the other line with us, uh, we have uh, my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. How are you feeling today, Lydia? I'm I'm doing better. I'm socially distancing, keeping keeping everybody safe while I'm a little. Can under we the catch water. anything through the microphone? No, I don't. Remind think me so. to ask Dr. Michalos: is, is it catchable through the microphone? I would say no, John. I would All say right, that that's got, not a possibility. All right, but yeah, but, but the, the CDC said maybe. <laughs> yeah, don't don't ask Dr. Fauci. God only knows what they'll say next time. But Lydia, it's good to hear your voice back. Yeah, it's it's back. It's not a hundred percent, but you know what? Nothing's going to keep me down well, from Dr. being on Michalos Cats at Night, the greatest show at five o'clock. It. He's going to talk about it at five fifty tonight. Dr. Michalo says there's something going around, a lot of stuff going on, but it's not going to kill you, and we, everybody has to just be careful. That's it. And we got a great show tonight. We have uh, Mario Economo. He's going to be talking about international news. We'll be talking to Peter Navarro, who's got some breaking news. So you definitely want to stay tuned in for that one. And Peter Kay- Solomon, too. As, uh, P- no, John, John Solomon. Solomon. He, John Solomon. John Solomon's also got some breaking news. <laughs> Kayla LaFelice, she is calling in from Canada. There's some breaking news going on there, a ban on guns, lifting restrictions on doing drugs. It's going crazy town. But first, and then, of course, Dr. Peter Mikolos at, uh, towards the end of the hour. But first on the line, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz, a Brooklyn boy at heart, but just a couple of decades at Harvard Law, constitutional expert. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, that was a stunning verdict in the Durham trial. Tell us, tell us the latest. What do you know? Was this expected? It was expected, I think. When you try to politicize uh, the criminal justice system and indict people just for lying to the FBI, juries aren't particularly sympathetic to that. If somebody takes an oath, puts their hand on the Bible and swears and tells a lie, then juries convict. But you're schmoozing with the FBI, and the FBI is asking you questions, and the FBI may be lying to you, and you respond, and you don't tell the truth to the FBI. That's not the strongest case, and I would hope that Durham would wait to find stronger cases, conspiracy, obstruction of justice, bribery, money laundering. Those kinds of cases get convictions. These kinds of cases very often result in acquittals. To me, the hardest question is this. Would this jury have convicted if this had been a Republican operative rather than a Democrat? <laughs> 100%. 100%. No, 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 no. He, he would have been in solitary confinement already. <laughs> Devil's you know, Island. Have, Devil's Island, you Alan. To, you know, you prof- Professor. Fair justice, yeah. There are so many cases that I've seen over the years, political cases. In 2013, they indicted and convicted some Republican chairman here in the city of New York based on a case that was clearly entrapment. And, and, yeah. and, and they, they got convictions on that. And now you yeah. have a case where Sussman lies to the FBI and they acquit him. It just doesn't make any sense. How many cases I've seen where lying to the FBI was one of the seminal charges that they well, indicted well, and convicted if, people on? What happens if the FBI lies to themselves? 
Well, uh, <laughs> look, the FBI has a tactic of lying. They will tell suspects that their co-defendants have spilled the beans on them, and if they want to get a better deal, they have to testify as well. Or they'll say the evidence is stronger than it was. Or they'll say they have a wiretap when they don't. And the Supreme Court has said that's okay. The FBI, police, they can lie to you, but you can't lie back to them. I mean, you know, in some states, it's a, it's a, lie, it's a crime to lie to a policeman. If you're speeding and the policeman says to you, why are you speeding? And you say, oh, I'm going home for dinner to my wife, and you're really going to your mistress. Under, you know, state law, that could be a crime. That shouldn't be a crime, either for Republicans or Democrats. That's between you and your God if you lie to the police. But if you lie under oath, that should be a crime. And what we shouldn't see for either side is the weaponization of the criminal justice system for partisan purposes. And when you have a crime as vague as lying to the police, you're going to get different verdicts, depending on whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. I just hope that Durham continues his investigation and finds real crimes, bribery and and, uh, money laundering and conspiracy and obstruction of justice, then I think juries will convict if it's in the right place. You know, if you get how about the jury is in Washington D.C. Well, and the, the, the jury's in Washington that's D.C. The, and you only have Democrats in the jury, and the person under uh, indictment is a Democrat. Is there any way, the any way that person <laughs> can be? Alan, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. I have yeah. I have to tell you something. It all it's kind of like the O.J. case. It all comes back yeah. down to the venue. It all comes back to to the jury pool. And it certainly wasn't helpful uh, that this judge limited the evidence that was allowed in. So I'm not so. I'm sorry. But, you know, the jury, I agree with that. The jury pool, by the way, in OJ was picked by the DA. The (laughs) DA could have had the case in a rural uh, area, but he wanted it in downtown LA where he'd get good media coverage and he thought he'd get a conviction. And then the prosecutor in the case, Marsha Clark, she wanted women on the jury, and she didn't care if they were black women or white women. And we did jury assessments and found out that black women would be much more favorable to O.J. And so, you know, we just were cleverer than they are. And, uh, you know, is that justice? That's up to your people to judge. But that's what lawyers uh, do. And the venue is crucially important. That's why the first motion defense attorneys often make is for a change of venue and to move the case out of areas where they don't think they can get a fair trial. Prosecutors do that also, but prosecutors can pick the venue so they don't have to make the motion usually. The the American people have to have confidence in the justice system. Enough is enough. Yeah, but John, look at the jury pool. Professor, this is Craig Eaton, who's an attorney here in New York. It said the jury included one federal government employee who told the judge they donated to Democrats in 2016 and another government employee who told the judge they strongly dislike former President Trump. These were two jurors, but they told the judge that they could be impartial throughout the trial. (laughs) And a juror also backed AOC. And uh, Professor Dershowitz, can you also talk about the fact that the jury only deliberated for six hours? What does that tell you? (laughs) That they had made up their mind and that the evidence really... They they wanted to go home for dinner. Yeah, but the O.J. Simpson jury was out for a very short period of time, too. And, uh, you know, the jury system in our country is the worst system possible, except for all the others that have been tried. That is, the jury system is terrible. It's all full of prejudice. It's full of amateurism. What's better? Judges who are picked by politicians. What's better? 
judges who are worried about being promoted and getting a better uh, appellate court judge. So, you know, Alan, you have a problem with the trial? Trial by ordeal? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in the Bible, they would just uh, throw the person in the water, and if they sank to the bottom, uh, they were uh, innocent. But if they floated to the top, they were guilty. Look, uh, (laughs) trial by jury is is the way we have done it now for years. We're virtually the only country that still has it. In Great Britain, the 12 jurors are really 12 chairs that are moved around by the prosecution. The judge at the end of the case tells the jury how to decide, essentially. The United States, we have a real jury system, and it cuts both ways. You get verdicts that are terribly unjust. Take a look. You know, take a look at the Harvey Weinstein case. Now, you know, I had some involvement in that, so I may not be unbiased. But you have a juror in that case who uh, uh, was writing a book that she wanted to make into a bestseller about an older man who was predatory toward uh, toward younger women. And, and then you have the Maxwell case. We have a juror who lied and said that he had never been abused. And then he goes into the jury room and he says, not only was I abused, but you should always believe abuse victims because they tell the truth. We have to be more selective. We have to make sure that juries don't contain people that have a predisposition or a bias. And it's not enough for a judge to say, oh, yeah, they, 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 can, they can hold those views in abeyance and they'll give a fair trial. That doesn't work. Alan, I have a, another issue for you, please. Sure, please. So based on your experience in the Supreme Court, what do you think about the fact that the internal investigation is now demanding that the clerks turn over their, their phone records as well as put in affidavits? What do you think about that? I think it's good. I think it needs even more. I would prefer to see the investigation being conducted by the FBI. Um, uh, and let them search the records through the uh, Verizon or through AT&T yeah, or whoever. Yeah, that's easy. And let them, yeah. depose, let them depose these interns and find out exactly what and went in. And they lie under oath, hang them. Yeah. Okay, well, Unless it's in Washington, well, D.C., no. then they'll acquit. I, 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 I'm against the I'm against the, the, the hanging. Hang <laughs> but I wouldn't. I wouldn't hire him. I would not hire a law clerk who deliberately leaked. If it was a law clerk, it could have been a messenger. It could have been somebody in the print shop. Theoretically, it could have been a justice. Unlikely. We know that some justices over the years have been sources for books about the Supreme Court and uh, and have never admitted it. So, you know, everybody's a suspect. The only thing we know for sure is it should not have happened. Exactly right. And there's 75 people, according to the latest reports, 75 people had access to this draft opinion. Yeah, and that's not surprising. Look, when I was a law clerk, we had some really, really important cases, and we were told not to discuss them with our wives, our children, our parents, and we didn't. We really took our oath seriously. And, you know, everybody wants to know what's going on in the Supreme Court, and we tell them, wait for the opinions to come down. You've got to do that. That's part of your job, and that's the job of every lawyer. You know, I know so many deep, dark secrets. If I could write a book about all the things I know that I can't tell, it would be an immediate bestseller. But I can't tell. I have to go to my grave. I don't discuss these things 
with my wife and my children any more than doctors discuss their patients. You've that's, got that's, to have Professor problems. Dershowitz, yeah, there's some uh, breaking news. There's some breaking news out of Texas. The Supreme yeah. Court blocks Texas's social media censorship law by an unusual five to four vote. Again, that breaking news, Supreme Court blocks Texas's social media censorship law by a five to four vote. Wow. What do you wow. make of that? It well, I don't know what the law is, but I can tell you anything that blocks censorship laws is something I'm in favor of. Now, you know, the ACLU, as you know, is has given up on civil liberties. There's now one head of the ACLU who's in charge of kind of transgender rights, which has come out, who has come out. This is the ACLU who's come out in favor of banning a book on transgenders, come out in favor of banning a book, the American Civil Liberties Union. So. Any of you out there who have ever contributed a nickel to the ACLU, I was on the national board. I was on the local board. I used to contribute every year. I'm not giving them another penny. Contribute to an organization called FIRE, F-I-R-E, which defends speech on college campuses, but no more ACLU. I don't know what side the ACLU is on this one, but the ACLU, which used to defend the rights of Nazis uh, in Skokie and other things, now has become a political left-wing partisan organization that cannot be counted on to defend so that law, unpopular causes. That yeah. law would have allowed social media users to sue major platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter if they think they've been banned or their posts taken down because of their political views. And so, I, I, and it's, well, it's Professor, why don't you read, read it and find out what happens, and maybe we'll talk about it yeah. another day. That would, that would be great because it's very important to prevent the social media from becoming the censors of America. I wrote a new book called The Case Against yes. um, Media Censorship. And, and, and how do you prevent it without infringing on their First Amendment rights? It's the most interesting, difficult free speech issue of this century. And the courts eventually have to resolve it. This is Texas's opinion is not going to be the last word on that. Professor Dershowitz, uh, thank you for calling in today, and we're going to have Always. you on again. Uh, read, read, find out. I'll read the that's opinion. an interesting. I'll that's an interesting, it. and and call us if you're re- ready to talk about it. Uh, I will do that. Thank you so much. Thank have a you. great day, everybody. Okay, uh, I understand uh, we have John Solomon on the other line. Uh, let's go to John Solomon. And on the line with us right now is an intrepid investigative reporter, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. If anyone has the latest breaking news, it's John Solomon. What do you have for us? Well, the big news in Washington today, Lydia, is that uh, the ex-Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, was found not guilty. He was acquitted today by a jury of the charge of lying to the FBI. The facts aren't in dispute. Uh, there's no doubt he he told the FBI a falsehood by saying that he was going there to um, uh, he was bringing dirt on Donald Trump on behalf of no client when, in fact, he was. But a jury found him not guilty. He immediately came outside and crowed about his victory. A big loss for John Durham, President, former President Trump, uh, just issued a statement saying is, how upset that, he was at that, the verdict. John, John yes. Solomon, is that because it's a Washington, D.C. jury? And, they, the, and I understand that uh, they didn't disallow any Trump, uh, any Clinton supporters on there. Which, you know, it's up to the judge to do that. Uh, yeah. But it, the fact that it was a Washington, D.C. jury where Washington, D.C. is 99 percent Democratic, no matter what the facts are, they're going to find innocent. 
Listen, I think that played into it. I think there's a second subplot that affected the jury a lot. All right, so Michael Sussman is accused of lying to the FBI. They present evidence that shows the lie, but then the defense brings up evidence saying, well, listen, the FBI lied to itself about this. It falsified its own documents, and I think the jury was left there saying, well, if the FBI was lying about it and they didn't get punished, why are we charging Michael Sussman? I think a lot of people who watched that trial thought that was the uh, pivotal moment, like when the glove didn't fit on O.J. Simpson. When they saw that the FBI was lying about Michael Sussman, they came to the conclusion his lie could not have had any effect because the FBI was lying about it anyways, and they let him off. Clearly a 90% Hillary Clinton jury poll, though. John Solomon, I agree with that. Because everybody in Washington is lying. I mean, you, you can't you can't pick and choose who you're going to send to jail for lying because everybody from the Congress, the Senate, the FBI, everybody was lying. Absolutely, I, mean, I, I was talking. Lydia, I know you feel the aren't other you, way about it, but that's the way I feel about it. Aren't you? Aren't you legally allowed to lie on on the floor? Aren't you al- allowed? Aren't they allowed to just make say anything they want by law? They can lie. Not legally allowed to lie. You know, nobody can sue you if you lie. Right, right, right. Yeah. Listen, I I think the the moral of this story for future generations of Washingtonians is that if everybody lies, nobody's going to get in trouble. And I think that's what the uh, entire Russia collusion case is beginning to show. Very few. Everyone was lying. They were lying to the FISA court, to the Congress. The FBI lied to itself and even told its own agents a false story. And yet nobody is going to really get punished. That's that's the outcome of today's trial. It, it I, is a very, very sad situation, John Solomon. I agree. Listen, this is the difference between the great American justice system we've had and banana republics. If everybody lies and you get off, we're, we're closer to a banana republic than we are the original great system that we've built in this country. What else do we have today? Lots of breaking news all around uh, town today. Let me start with some of the stuff. Uh, Today, uh, President Biden finally has a plan for fighting inflation. He uh, wrote an op-ed today laying out a point, puts a lot of the pressure back at the Fed. Uh, This was a president who was telling us for months it wasn't a big deal. Now he realizes it's a big deal as his numbers sink, and he put an op-ed out today that lays out the the game plan. Uh, The World Health Organization has good news if you're worried about a second pandemic. Right now, they're saying monkeypox will not turn into a pandemic like COVID did. We'll have to see how that holds up. Uh, and uh, uh, an important story coming out the day after, I think, after the day after Memorial Day. We all remember the scandal in 2014 at the Phoenix VA hospital where lots of people were left waiting for weeks and months without treatment. People died while they were waiting. Uh, there was a lot of progress made by the VAA after that, the end of the Obama administration, all through the Trump years. But now in the first year under Joe Biden, Uh, The VA is backsliding. There are many places that have 40, 50, 60, as many as 88-day waiting lists. And a second uh, scourge has propped up a large number of fraud cases against VA employees. VA employees literally stealing money from the VA. One man just pled guilty just last week. He pled guilty to stealing the donated items that Walmart had given to homeless veterans. So a real problem with VA employees and now those wait times are back. A lot of people are talking about that story today. John Solomon, I also hear that the VA is trying to close down uh, the uh, VA hospital that services Brooklyn and Staten Island. That's 3 million people. Wow. And I, you know, my advice to the people that called me, I said, go to Senator Schumer. And yes. say, you know, New York is his territory, and let Senator Schumer do something about that. 
Yeah, that's what God made constituents and uh, constituent relations for. And that would be a major blow to New York and to the, vet, the many great veterans who uh, who live in New York. So I'll check into that and see if that's on the list. Um, there are some discussions of closing some VA hospitals. I'll dig into that. One last thing I'd like to mention to you, because we're all still digesting these horrific shootings that have occurred one after the other after the other. We today were able to, our good colleague Aaron Kliegman at Just the News, was able to interview the lawyer who's representing a lot of victims in that horrible Buffalo grocery shooting. He's been doing a lot of research on their behalf, working with law enforcement. He told us today that based on his deep dive into the digital records of the shooter, there appears to be other people who are tied to the shooter who may have encouraged or even assisted him. That's a direct quote from attorney Terrence M. Connors, who's representing several of the families of victims. A new twist in a, in, a, in a case where we thought early on the Buffalo shooter may have worked all by himself. Now there are concerns that he was getting assistance in a chat room for days leading up to the shooting, and that some of those people in the chat room knew 30 minutes in advance the shooter was about to open up at that grocery store, and they didn't report it to law enforcement. That's well, incredible. Uh, Any, anything latest on uh, Uvalde? I mean, we're now hearing that they have proof that the children were alive when the police were waiting in the hallways because originally the police chief had said he believed that all the kids were dead at that point. What, what have you heard recently? Yeah, listen, uh, one thing we do know is that the original Uvalde police statements have really eviscerated. Almost all of the original timeline and story has gone in reverse. The Texas state um, police chief, the uh, uh, has really basically become the official messenger now. We have not gotten official confirmation from police today yet uh, that some of the victims were um, open. There are source reports that that is. We're checking into that. Some people have waved us off. That some people say uh, don't know yet. Uh, but I have a bad feeling we're going to learn a lot more about what could have been prevented, what could have happened had police acted with greater haste. Um, I think I think, I think we could have we could have saved a few more kids. I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think you're right, John. I think that's going to be the bottom line. Well, thank you so much, uh, John Solomon. And uh, Lydia, you have one more? No, I just wanted to say justthenews.com. You have a great website, justthenews.com, John Solomon. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. And on the line now we have with us is Mario Okanamu. He's a former banker. He's also an expert when it comes to oil and energy and a lot of international news, which a lot is going on right now. Um, oil prices have jumped after the European Union leaders agreed to ban most Russian crude imports. Mario Okanamu, I, I mean, just I also understand that the uh, inflation rate in Europe is just as bad as the United States. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on. Actually, yes, the inflation rate, depending on the country, is in some case even higher than what it is in the U.S., uh, and that does not bode well for any of the countries or the uh, European Union's economy as a whole. Uh, Lydia is right. Um, there was an agreement that was reached uh, at the European Union meeting yesterday whereby they've agreed to immediately stop importing uh, 75% of the Russian oil, meaning the uh, crude that comes into Europe. And they're uh, aiming to bring that up to 90% by the end of the year. Uh, this is oil that comes in via ship. Pipeline oil will continue to come in, and specifically to countries Hungary, Czech Republic, and to Slovakia. Uh, those countries were not prepared to sign an agreement unless they had access to the pipeline because they are landlocked, and therefore they were concerned that they were going to get cut out of the crude oil market. 
the uh, initial impact was there was a bump up in the price of oil, but then it pretty much settled. Nothing spectacular happened there, which is kind of interesting because if you think about the fact that Europe's decided it's going to now no longer import Russian oil, you would think that the price of oil would spike up significantly, yet that has not happened well, yet. Well, it was 118 this morning, and then it backed off a little bit. That's correct, and that, that that's but, totally but correct. But also, I understand this morning's news was that Russia cut out the Netherlands. Is, is there any update on that? Yeah, yes, that's true. Russia has cut out Denmark and, the, and Holland, and it has also cut out Fil- Finland, I believe, last week or 10 days ago. So uh, because those countries are refusing to pay for their uh, oil and gas in rubles. So they are no longer getting oil and gas. The countries themselves are saying it's not a big deal. They have plenty in reserve that should easily take them through uh, the fall and beginning of the winter, uh, by which time they are hoping they're going to have satisfactory um, other reserves Mario, in place. Mario, I'm trying to understand. The Europe, even though the United States has, has cut off Russia, theoretically cut them off, all the European countries, not only are they still buying product, they're paying for it in rubles, and the ruble has gone up higher than it was originally when we started the blockade. Yes, that's true. Uh, there's something else that's very interesting and that I find rather troubling. Um, notwithstanding the fact that they came out and made this big announcement yesterday and everybody is high-fiving each other that they're no longer going to be bringing in Russian crude uh, into the European Union, but uh, many of the heads of state announced different programs whereby they're going to continue sending weapon systems to the Ukraine. That's kind of interesting if you think about the fact that they're actually penalizing the Russians for invading the Ukraine, and they want to stop funding the Russian war machine, yet in the same breath they're prepared to continue providing weapons to the Ukraine so that it can essentially keep fighting a uh, a war against the Russians. Uh, The two don't actually seem to make sense, and I think it it hits on something um, uh, Mr. Katsimatidis and I discussed over the weekend, which is a lot of people – do not want to see this end for whatever the reasons are. Uh, and the, well, reasons the other are- thing we discussed, and I, I got to say it, I got to get it off my chest, Mario. Uh, the uh, Putin is fighting with uh, uh, Biden. They're fighting with the European community, but they, they are getting 16-year-old kids now from Russia to go into battle. So the the the, the leaders are fighting with each other. And the 16- and 18-year-old kids are dying in the, in the battlefield. Yes, and that's unfortunate. Very sad. The, Very sad. That's the, history, that's the history of the world in a nutshell. Um, there is something – there is a couple of other things I would like to mention as food for thought. We've got a minute that are left happening. before we have to take a break. Okay. Um, OPEC, as you know, Russia is not a member of OPEC, and there are now discussions that OPEC is going to actually formally ask and invite Russia to join OPEC. But the that truth will is, be horrible. That, that will be horrible for Saudi the European Arabia and Saudi Arabia and Russia have been partners since the time when oil went down to $20 a barrel, and uh, they felt that Trump was trying to screw them. Yes. Well, that, that will be uh, very bad news for the EU if it happens, and it will be very good news for the U.S. if it happens, provided the U.S. actually starts pumping oil out of the ground and starts shipping it to the rest of the world. And how likely uh, is that, Mario? Uh, you could ask Mr. Katsimatidis on that. <laughs> I He's much better informed I, than I, know, I, I know a little bit about oil. 
I get my information Mario, on that from him. Mario Canobu, <laughs> thank you for calling in today. And uh, God bless America. God bless the European community. God bless Great Britain. And, well, we need God's blessings. Otherwise, we're in deep crap. <laughs> thank you so yes. much. Uh, let's take that break. We're going to do a common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzimatidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now is Peter Navarro. He's an economist and author. He served in the Trump administration as the assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy, as well as the National Defense Production Act policy coordinator. And he's also got some breaking news for us. Mr. Navarro, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well here in the swamp today. Uh, I put my lawyer hat on uh, instead of being the economist. And I filed a uh, major lawsuit um, at the District uh, of Columbia Court. Uh, The target is this uh, kangaroo court, uh, otherwise known as this select committee to investigate the Jan 6 attack. (laughs) The title is just pure bunk. Uh, you, what you've got is you've got seven uh, Democrats on there who have spent the last five years trying to put Donald Trump in prison or out of office, and two rhino Republicans, including Liz Cheney. And they're running uh, a show trial next week. Uh, and it's it, what, what they did was they got a contempt to Congress charge against me. And what I'm, I'm coming right back at them. Uh, there's some very significant legal issues. Uh, that I want to get in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, One of them is the separation of powers, meaning that Congress is not supposed to perform as judge, jury, and executioner when it investigates. It's only supposed to investigate in the name of improving rules, regulations, or laws. It's clearly overstepped its bounds there. The worst thing they've done is to collude with Biden and the White House to strip Donald Trump of executive privilege um, which I mean, there's just no law, federal law for that. They're way over their skis on that in, in their bid to coerce me uh, to testify. And of course, the committee itself um, is it, it's not following its own rules. Um, when, when you hand out subpoenas in Congress, you are supposed to have a what's called a ranking minority member on whatever committee it is to consult with so that there's some kind of bipartisanship and it's fair. They didn't do that. Pelosi didn't do it. She herself calls the committee unprecedented. So I'm I'm coming at them with both barrels in an 86-page lawsuit, and I've got the law on my side on all uh, four points of the compass I I attacked them on. And um, the the worst part is um, that Kevin McCarthy, the uh, minority leader, allowed them to do this. I mean, these, these people are out of control on the Dem side, but McCarthy should have uh, stuck a fork in, in them uh, right at the outset. He did not do that. And ironically, of course, uh, they They're subpoenaed him. him with a subpoena. Yeah, yeah he yeah. and so, four or five others. And what, by yeah, the way, they say that. they're not going to appear. What do you think about that? Well, it's kind of uh, what's interesting is, and this raises selective prosecution issues, like suppose they don't appear, which they won't. Are they going to hold them in contempt? And then is the Justice Department going to try to haul them? Well, that's right. Um, that's know, a, that's what makes that very interesting. Prison? 
And by the way, yeah. is a majority controlled by the Democrats then going to try to expel those members from the Congress? Yeah. No, I mean, because they can play that game too, it's right? Absurd. Yeah, I mean, they're so far over their skis. You know what I talk about? Here's what I'm trying to avoid, Johnny. It's like if they institutionalize this this partisan ping pong ball game, where whenever uh, a new president comes in, he can strip a, a predecessor of executive privilege. Um, you know what's going to happen when the Republicans come in in 22 and in in. Uh, and Trump gets in in 2024, we'll be subpoenaing them and, and holding them in contempt and trying to put them in prison. That's not good for the republic. That's what I'm trying to prevent here, Johnny, with it, with this lawsuit. And um, it's absurd what they're doing, uh, what they're really doing on its face. Well, I think, look, Peter, it's, it's Richard Weinberg again. I will tell you that as a matter of law, you're absolutely correct. The privilege belongs to the president asserting it, not for the subsequent president. They're absolutely dead wrong on the law on that. Yes. And what's interesting is now I've got, uh, yeah, it's like these people, they know they have no civility. It's like last week I'm in bed. It's early in the morning and, and bang, bang, bang. It's the friggin' FBI with badges drawn given me a subpoena, which they could just as easily have called me up and say, yeah, sure, fine, give it to me. That's what I did with the committee. And, uh, you know. Did they come? Uh, the FBI came to uh, to Roger, Roger Stone Stone's with about 28 yeah. people. Yeah. Did you have less? Yeah. Oh, you're not as important. You're not as important as Roger Stone. Stone. What a waste of money. What a waste of yeah, money and resources. It's, 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 it's sad. It's sad. 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 Richard will enjoy this. There's a long – and it's in my lawsuit. Uh, people can get that, by the way, at PeterNavarro.com. It's posted there. There's a longstanding policy dating back to the 70s from the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice that says testimonial immunity of senior White House advisors is absolute. In other words, we can't be compelled. And the reason why that testimonial immunity and executive privilege exists it dates back to George Washington. So presidents can get candid advice, right? And yet the Department of Justice has a policy that it's defying now and going after me. So, it, you know, this is going to be interesting, but the, the, that Supreme Court needs to, to show a little courage here and deal with these issues because it's been ducking some of these issues for decades. This is not the first rodeo we've well, seen. Well, this is a real crisis in Washington. That's why they've been yes. ducking it, because the Supreme Court is being threatened themselves. Yes, yes. By the way, there's some breaking news, Lydia. There's some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. Lydia, you want to tell people? Right. The Uvalde Police Department and the Uvalde Independent School District Police Force are no longer cooperating with the te- with the Texas Department of Public Safety's investigation into the elementary school shooting. So the police department and the school district are not cooperating anymore with the state officials. You mean, that is, is that just staggering. Is that a lot of kids didn't have to die if if they weren't such cowards? I, I just, I'm what stunned. What do you think, Peter Navarro? I know you're not involved in Houston. Well, it, it disgusts me, that, as it does everybody in this country, that the uh, police waited for what appears to be up to an hour before they went Over in to an rescue hour. those kids. Horrible. Yeah, that's all I know about this. And, and uh, just, I mean, uh, just, 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 you know, 
there's something so wrong. And I'm I'm over 70 now, and this is the worst I've ever seen in this this country. And I went through the Vietnam and, and 1970s stagflation era, but just on every front, uh, things are spinning out. I was there so, with you in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. Peter Navarro, thank you so much for coming on and uh, and keep us informed. And we're going to keep a million people informed listening to us. And thank you so much. And good luck to you, Peter. And good luck. I'm we're on your I, side I to, to get justice. Let's let's uh, let's uh, appreciative that you uh, listen to me today. Thank you. Equal, equal justice for all. That's what we stand for. Uh, let's take a, we're gonna take a break, and we're, we're going to come back with uh, Lydia. Who are we coming Kayla, back We're coming back with Kayla Yafaliche, and she's going to be talking to us about this possible Canada. handgun ban in Canada, Canada and drugs. It's a mess. There's a lot of things happening in Canada, and uh, Trudeau is off on his own. Uh, uh, He's off his rocker. Well, I don't want to be that nasty. Uh, <laughs> on his own path. And, and we'll, He's on his own path. Let's take the break, and Lydia will calm down. Yeah, Pelosi's uh, husband. To Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show on the line for us right now. We have uh, Kayla Yafaliche. She is a public affairs leader with communication strategies for businesses and, and governments. And she's giving us a report straight from Canada, eh? To tell us what the heck is going on with Trudeau and talking about uh, proposing a complete freeze on handgun ownership. And then also something's going on with... Uh, allowing people to use drugs for their personal use. I mean, tell us what's going on, Kayla. Well, hi there. Thank you so much for uh, having me on your show today. And, you know, I do just want to say the coverage and images coming out of our American sister networks is truly nothing short of uh, stomach turning. So on behalf of, I think, all Canadians, you know, our condolences, everyone impacted by the, the recent events there at your home. Um, you know, there is quite a bit going on today. I mean, where do you want to start? Where do you, where do you well, want to Trudeau focus? Is, give us an understanding of what he wants to do with guns. In other words, he was starting to talk about yesterday that he wants to ban the sale of guns. I mean, what Canadian that's being chased by a grizzly bear will, 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 will like that? <laughs> it's a fair question, but I mean, similar to you folks, you know, we do have our urban centers. We do have our rural centers. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer. There's been polling on the issue and, you know, polls do show that a significant number of Canadians want some sort of generally stricter gun laws. But the problem is nobody's really prescribing exactly what that means. And why I say that is it's important because Canadians actually believe the laws that would be put in place by their prime minister would actually do something to curb the gun crimes in Canada, which this legislation absolutely does not. In fact, it only targets, you know, legal law abortion law-abiding gun owners. Um, the, the timing of this legislation, though, is, is truly the real problem. You know, why are the liberals introducing this? Why now? And not to sound too cynical, but for a lot of people here, it really does seem to be a gross politicization of, you know, a horrible tragedy that doesn't even belong to us. You know, forget the fact the mechanics of the bill do nothing to address our actual gun-related issues. The urgency around this bill makes absolutely zero sense. Okay, wow. This is Craig Eaton. I, I have a question. It, it, what we've heard is that it's for handguns. What about long guns and, and other types of guns in Canada? Is this limited only to handguns? 
No. So this bill is a, it's a combination of two things. So a similar version of this bill was introduced in April 2020 following a mass shooting here in eastern Canada, which was, by the way, an illegal and unlicensed firearms that they found the, the shooter to use. Um, as that bill was going through our legislative process, Mr. Trudeau called an election that, quite frankly, nobody wanted. And by nature, that bill actually died. Um, so Part of what that bill was, part of what that included, was a, um, a ban on 1,500 of what the minister and the prime minister at the time called assault-style firearms, which was affected immediately. So licensed legal gun owners were not allowed to sell, buy, trade these anymore. And included in this was the AR-15. In fact, at the time, the prime minister actually acknowledged that the change would impact law-abiding gun owners, but said something to the tune of, you know, no hunter needs that kind of firepower or something like that. So what was just announced was a reference to the buyback program, which was part of this original ban. So this ban actually offered to buy back these, what they referred to as assault-style firearms. Um, and, and part of this thing that was announced yesterday, um, and quite frankly, the details are sparse. I will add there was no evidence of an actual bill yesterday. There was no technical briefing for reporters. I mean, there was actually no sense of being prepared to actually announce this bill was coming. Um, but part of the announcement that came yesterday was that, you know, we're going to hear at some point this summer that that buyback program for these weapons, these 1500 banned weapons are going to begin. Kayla, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Does Canada have an equivalent of a Second Amendment, a right to uh, own and bear arms that we have in the United States Constitution? Yeah, so I think that's actually a really critical point, and that is important for a couple of reasons, and especially for understanding the ideology behind why Canadians own and use legal guns. We do not, in our Constitution, have you know necessarily a right to bear arms. We don't even have necessarily a right to defend our property. So ideologically, you know, our need, our use for guns does come from, you know, more of like a heritage or cultural perspective. And quite frankly, people just like to do it because they enjoy the sport. They like the collection, you know, all of those reasons. So we, we, we don't have anything constitutionally that supports this. No, we got uh, two minutes left. Uh, and another question, I understand it just happened. Canada to temporarily decriminalize illegal drugs in British Columbia. Are you guys going to make British Columbia a drug drug price now? You know, British Columbia is a very uh, interesting special place in in Canada. You know, usually Quebec is the the province that gets all the special treatment um, and has done so, you know, historically and traditionally. But, but, um, you know, BC has asked for this exemption. They're the only province in Canada that has asked for this exemption. we still don't know, you know, the full extent of what this is going to look like, but it does look like that small amounts of um, some of these drugs are going to be permitted to help as what they say decriminalize, um, you know, the, these issues that they're having there. I, I, the, the main focus, they say, is to get, you know, the fentanyl off the streets. But we're going to see people, um, you know, in possession of small amounts of these drugs, um, you know, not face uh, the criminal charges that previously Kayla, were in um, place and are across Canada. How Kayla, does that I'm help honor- drug addicts? I'm the honorary mayor of Victoria, British Columbia. Oh. And, I, and I take umbrage at that decision. 
you know, honorary it, mayor. We I am. Know. I'm the honorary mayor. John, did you know that? Yeah, yeah well, he mentioned honorary to me mayor. I am the honorary mayor of Victoria, British Columbia. I think you go up there and disagree with them. They're going to shoot you. He's got to get involved <laughs> in this. Got to get involved in this. Now I'm still trying to ban. figure out how legalizing drugs helps drug addicts. I don't understand how. To, how does that help them? Yeah. So this is, you know, we we just talked about like the gun ban before. As you can see, you know, I'm definitely not an expert in this field, and I can't speak to you know the behind the scenes pieces of that. But you know, our our prime minister does sometimes, like in the case of this, you know, gun ban, we just talked about make decisions that really, you know, we're not sure are actually in tune with, you know, the electorate. I will re- remind you guys that we actually, he actually doesn't have a majority government in Canada, which means he doesn't have, you know, the majority of the votes. He has a majority of the seats. It's a complicated issue, but he actually can't. Is there a Supreme that. Court in Canada to, for somebody to appeal to? There certainly is. Um, it is a you know a, a, a rigorous process, um, but there is a Supreme Court. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming in. We have to go to a break, and and we'll talk to you again real soon. When you have any hot news, please call WABC, and we'll put you on right away because our Canadian listeners deserve to know the truth. Well, uh, appreciate you having me on, and uh, look forward to chatting with you folks again. Take care. Take care. Lydia, we have some breaking news before we go to break. Yeah. Um, do you want to hit that breaking, breaking news? news? There you go. WABC. New York City Mayor Adams will continue to retain control of city public schools under a deal struck by state lawmakers. But the first term mayor will have to be back in Albany sooner than he had hoped. And he'll also be tasked. There will be some strings attached to this deal. So instead of getting four years, he's only going to get two years. And there are also some other strings there. So it looks like well, uh, he made a deal. That if, if, he, if he breaks their chops about bail, bail control, yep. if, if he breaks their chops about bail laws, then uh, they're going to take away school control? I Probably. Mean, what kind of games are being played here? It's, it's all total That's games. all they do is it's play games. It's one big game. Well, let's take a break, and I understand we're going to come back with Dr. Michalos, and there's a lot of people getting sick around town, and he's going to report about it. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25-plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno call Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno, he's your numero uno. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line for us is Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident medical genius, Renaissance man. In addition to being a doctor, he's also apparently a historian. He's just an all-around great guy. Welcome back to Cats at Night. A lot of people getting sick, Dr. Mikolos. I'm being one of them. Thank God it's not monkeypox or anything that crazy like that, because that's disgusting. But I mean, what the heck is going on? Well, viruses are like safe crackers, and interestingly, RNA viruses were on the planet before we were. They were around even before DNA viruses, so they've been around a long time, and they've learned how to uh, survive. And one of the things we talked about in the beginning of the pandemic is what happens with these viruses is they learn to become more contagious because they need to find a new hotel host human, but they learn to be less lethal because they don't want to keep killing their hosts. So what we're seeing is a lot of cases. Only a matter of a few months ago, we were seeing a thousand people a day dying in the United States. Now we're down to about 300 
uh, people a day dying, which is significantly less. In the United States, we've lost 1,031,000 people. That's a lot of people. And we've had, uh, in New York, we lost 68,292 as of last Friday. The good news is last week, the case numbers uh, fell to um, to a certain degree. But now we're seeing, uh, as people are gathering and moving indoors, parties, weddings, we're seeing uh, more and more cases. The trick to this thing is the first five days are viral replication. So if our audience, we tell them, if you have fever, chills, and you have a very sore throat, a headache, and then uh, you really need to be at scene right away. As soon as you test positive, the trick is to take the new therapies that exist. There are two antiviral pills out there, the the Lavagrio, which is Molnupiravir, and the Paxlovid by Pfizer. And for those who are over 70 or overweight or have asthma or higher risk, they have the IV antibodies. And the one currently uh, used by Eli Lilly is working well against the current variants, which are the Omicron and the BA2 subvariants, or the predominant variants. Originally, we were dealing with the Alpha variant. The reason why many people are still getting sick, even with the vaccines, are all these vaccines that we're getting now are for the original Alpha Wuhan variant, and the current uh, vaccines don't really work against. The only thing they do is give us enough immunity to help keep you off a ventilator, so that's very important. The other great news is that there are some other medicines that are in the pipeline that they're discovering will be helpful, too. Uh, one is called plitidespin, a cancer drug that blocks viral replication. It's in phase three trials, and that looks very promising. And another one in, from Japan called camistat, which is used for pancreatitis, has also been found to block the virus. And so there's so now about 40 if Lydia doesn't feel good, if Lydia doesn't feel good, what should she go? Should she go getting a prescription for uh, what? What's yeah, Lydia rep- knows what to do. She's uh, she's heard enough by now. She's doing all the right things. Have thing. you heard enough, Lydia? Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell Lydia, you. So Lydia I started feeling lady. I started feeling something like in my throat, like on a Saturday night, and I just got like a bunch of tests from the government. You know how you can get them for free. So then, first thing on Sunday morning, I got I tested myself. We we all test, and we're I was negative. Monday, I tested myself, was negative. I went to City MD, tested negative, and again, and then for today, I'll announce it. To, I tested positive for COVID. Went right back to City MD. A, yeah, and what happened with City MD? City MD, they didn't want to give me Paxlovid. They didn't want to give me Paxlovid, and so I'm fighting it, you know. Uh, but they just told me to take Advil, drink a lot of fluids, and stuff like that because That's I'm BS. still young and healthy and strong. You know? Yeah. What do I know. You think, so now I have a headache. She's calling another doctor? Yeah, again, yeah. you can always get a second opinion, but there are, you know, private centers where you can get uh, help, and even many hospitals and other urgent care centers that are. Uh, you know, private urgent care centers will give you the... Lydia, go to a hospital, giving... emergency ward, tell them you tested positive and you <laughs> want you it, want they'll medicine. You, they'll give you, they'll so, give you the... Otherwise, you're going to call WABC and we're going to make a big deal out of it. <laughs> what about retesting, Doc- doctor? What about retesting? I mean, she tested negative, she yeah, said, well, you can, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a rapid test. Really, before yeah. you get any treatment, it's better to take a PCR test. Yeah. And that's what yeah, no, I just did the rapids standard. at home and they came up negative. But thank God I isolated. As soon yeah. as that's the common sense approach, good people, if you don't feel good, stay away from people. The, the people who get really sick are usually over 65 who have other risk factors. So the good news as a young woman, probability is that she'll do very well. But the good news is that you do have access to these options. And off the air, I can tell her where to go, but she'll do. She'll, she'll right. get through it. She'll do thank fine. You. We're out of time, but uh, Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you for uh, uh, 
briefing all Americans, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Judge Weinberg, thank you. John, just thank one, you. Final, you one final thing. Um, at 5 o'clock today, um, former Governor Andrew Cuomo's right to run on an independent line expired. So wow. he is out. He so is he's out. not running. 5 o'clock Tuesday was the That's deadline. That's breaking news. He's done. He is okay. done. Uh, wow. Lydia, thank you for being my sidekick. And, Absolutely. And thank you for, I'm not going to catch it. Through the through the microphone and thank you. I'm okay. I feel great. Thank you and God bless. Well, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, and the American way. way. God bless New York. God bless America. And thank you all, guys. Feel better. Feel Have better. a great night and feel better, Lydia. Thank you.